Are you ready to talk about the motion picture shows? I don't know. I'd probably have to say yeah on that one, question mark. Three hours for a movie? Welcome to Football's Day. I needed this thing to end quick, fast, and in a hurry. Is it though? Is it a good movie? Yes. I think so. Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender. With me as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing there or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. My goodness, don't be crazy, Zach. Chips and salsa. <laughs> you can't Ste- that. Stealing that one from Mr. Cavender there. Oh, man, that's a good one. It is my favorite snack, chips and salsa. It that is pretty or good. apple and peanut butter. I don't do that. No? You don't like I'm, apples and peanut butter? I'm better than that. I like the two separate. <laughs> Not together. <laughs> so I eat it kind of weird. There are people that will like dip their apples in the peanut butter. But first mm-hmm. of all, I use crunchy peanut butter because I, like I hate that. <laughs> I like it. It's like you're, you're eating a whole bag of peanuts, which is good. And then um, I use a spoon, actually. So I, I slice up my apple and I eat one piece and then I I eat some peanut butter off the spoon. It's cleaner and it's more effective than dipping it. So you squirt peanut butter out of packets into your mouth. <laughs> yeah. The there you go. The Peter Pan peanut butter. <laughs> the best kind right there. So. You should inject peanut butter into your apples and then just eat them right off the core. Now you're thinking. Now we're yeah. talking uh, talking a multi-million dollar deal. That, they should, uh, you should get sell. one of those decorer things and then and then put the fill the hole in with the peanut buddy and then, then you'll be good to go. That'd be messy. Oh, oh, yeah, I call I peanut like butter peanut buddy, by the way. <laughs> Why? I don't know. <laughs> and I, like, whenever I give Rizzo some, I go, peanut buddy, peanut buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Rizzo retains all of these fun, like, songs so. that you sing to her? Yeah. Like, it's good. It's good. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> and I go, treat, treat time. And she comes running. Pretty great. But, yeah. That's amazing. Peanut like buddy, it. peanut buddy. That's going to be the new intro. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we're wasting time. We're supposed to be in a hurry. People don't want us lollygagging, you lollygagging son of a bitch. No dilly-dally. I need to eat so I can take my back pills. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a car. (laughs) I have to eat so I can take my back pill. He's such an asshole. (laughs) Art, I think is his name. Yeah. My goodness. So... Fast forward, skipping, skipping, skipping through the fanfare and pleasantries. We are going to go into our film for the week. Are you ready? Hell yeah. All right. So we're going to be doing Pacific Rim from 2013, directed by one Guillermo del Toro, who you might know from Pan's Labyrinth, which we did on the show, The Shape of Water. I am in love with The Shape of the Water, (laughs) Hellboy, (laughs) and Nightmare Alley. It was written by Travis Beecham. And Guillermo del Toro as well. I did not know that. More you know. The cast includes Idris Elba, Charlie Hunnam, who you know from the Sons of Anarchy there, if you ever watched the motorcycle show. They want to get out of the gun business for seven seasons. But they don't. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Anyway, also, uh, Rinko Kikuchi, Charlie Day, Bern Gorman, Max Martini, Robert Kaczynski, Clifton Collins Jr., and Hellboy himself, Ron Perlman. 
Critical reception was pretty good. It's 72% on the old tomato meter there. The audience score was 77. How about that? I think last week's movie was a 77 as well. Yeah. Look at that. We are just the podcast of mediocrity. Who knew? The reviews. We got Anthony Quinn. Not impressed. Pacific Rim is a special effects behemoth. A toy franchise with a definitely loud movie attached Transformers with an A level, he says. Hmm. Uh, Giles Hardy from Sydney Morning Herald says, In essence, Pacific Rim features a series of Godzilla monsters battle an ever-dwindling number of Transformers. Layered over the plot from Independence Day, only dumber. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yikes. Just when I didn't think you could get any dumber. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to do something, something. like this. <laughs> totally redeem yourself. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. My goodness. Uh, Max Nelson from Film Comment Magazine says, Feels like it's always struggling to break through the screen, if only to grab you by the scruff of your neck and drag you in. Wow. Keep, keep your hands off there. Get your fucking hands off me before I chop them off. <laughs> I don't know what that's from. <laughs> it's, from uh, it's from Goodfellas. Oh, yeah. There you go. It's when one of the battered wives is talking about her experience with like a gate man or something like that in the community. Um, one more. Wesley Morris from Grantland says, Del Toro is a dreamer. He's a visionary. If you give him a pile of money, Lebowski, to make enormous robots fight enormous monsters, at the end of Civilization, he will work to make Pacific Rim a movie that makes you feel all the enormousness. Very nice. Yeah. Fan of the scale. Fan of the scale of the movie. All right. So that's pretty much it for the critical reception. The budget was $190 million. Holy smokes. That's big money. Gross in the United States and Canada at $101 million. Opening weekend, it did a mere 37.2, which for a summer release isn't all that impressive, to be honest with you. That's July 14th, 2013. That's fucking your guy. That's that's uh, July... Uh, isn't it July 14th? Like, my daddy comes oh, yeah. home on July 14th. <laughs> yeah. What's his name in that movie? Uh, Memphis, uh, or Poe. Yeah. Poe, no, it's it's right. uh, something Poe. Memphis Poe Reigns. Like, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know his name. It's, I, you know, I just confused like three Nicolas Cage here. But it's, it's, it's like Poe Dameron or something. <laughs> that's, that's the Star Wars. Yeah. I yeah. get to see. My daddy, my birthday is July 14th. My daddy comes home <laughs> on July, July 14th. 14th. <laughs> I get to see my daddy for the first time on July 14th. <laughs> How fun. Oh, I just picture John Malkovich reading that. Yeah. What the hell is his name in that movie? Con- Cam- Cameron Pro. Cameron, Cameron Poe. Poe. That's right. He's brothers with Cameron Crow. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. Leroy P. Boy. Lilo P. That's, um, you know, that's interesting that it didn't gross that much in the U.S. It, obviously, this movie did way better internationally. And um, yeah, so I was getting to that. Worldwide, it did $411 million. Uh, The rest of the world is a fan of the monster movies. You know, the kaijus, as it were. They like the, the big uh, rumble and tumble with the robots versus the monsters. Bears and the rhino. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're over here like Lilo, Peebo, Lou Rawls, Teddy Pendergrass, Teddy P, number six. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Close are... the door. 
<laughs> we are on one today. <laughs> <laughs> I am hopped up. I had about 15 Dr. Peppers. And I'm out. This can, she's empty. You hear that little jingle jangle in the need can? A, you need to train Rizzo to bring you a fresh Dr. Pepper on command. Uh, no. A Docty. Yeah. A Docty Peppy. So. I need one. Well, so it, bad. There's a lot of fun trivia on this one, too. Um, so I, I've only put about four. But approximately 100 Kaijus and 100 Jaegers were designed, but only a fraction of them appeared in the film. Every week, the filmmakers held a vote for their favorites. That would be fun. I think that'd be so sweet. Mm-hmm. Kaiju is a Japanese word that literally translates to strange beast. It is usually used to refer to giant monsters from Japanese science fiction films, such as Godzilla of 1954. Though the giant monsters were always intended to be computer generated, all of their designs were expanded from the notion that they could be worn as suits, like in traditional Kaiju films. And I really like that. I think that's great because this would be fun to go back in time and see this movie made in the fifties when they were, when they had actors wearing the suits, it'd be awesome. <laughs> I would love it. And then finally in Hungary trailers for the movie, couldn't mention the name of the main robot gypsy danger because it was offensive to the Roma, a large ethnic group in the country. The name is spoken freely in the, in the Hungarian dub version, but it's left in English. It's a reference to a type of airplane engine, not the people in question. Mm. I didn't know that. At all. Good save. I know. <laughs> well, actually. <laughs> like, no, no. Yeah. Not that gypsy. Hold the phone. So, Well, if you haven't seen Pacific Rim, I'm going to read a synopsis. It'll take maybe about three minutes. You can go ahead and skip that if you want. But that Stevie uh, Nicks has a song about the gypsy. About the landslide? She sounds like a like a billy goat. She's like, and the gypsy. <laughs> that, I, don't, I don't like it. Just throwing that out there. There you go. I think she says gypsy. I don't know. I can't understand a word that comes out of her mouth, to be honest with you. I do not know what song that is. The, the Gypsy. I think. <laughs> let me let me Google it really fast. You got to Do you have a second? I do. I got lots of seconds. Stevie and Neeks. The Gypsy. Yeah, it is called The Gypsy. Stevie oh. Nicks. I, I probably heard it before. It goes The Gypsy. <laughs> I don't think that's how it actually goes. <laughs> Something like that. I do Be- declare. Between her and Enrique Iglesias, someone told me he sounds like a frog when he sings, and I couldn't get it beyond me. So like in the song Hero, he's like, would you let run if I sang? Would you sing? So every time I hear that song, I just think of a frog. That's great. Uh, I caught I can a frog be once. A hero, baby. I have a frog in my throat all the time. Damn, man, one was in my backyard. I'm like, what are you doing, that little hippity hoppy? <laughs> and I picked him up and I, I rescued him before the Rizzo saw. Oh, that would have been game over, man. Yeah. Game we went over. through the house and into the front yard. There you go. All right. Well, I don't know what happened to him after that. <laughs> <laughs> he probably turned into one of these kaiju. That's probably yeah, the revenge. He's probably in lake in the lake right now. <laughs> I didn't probably... give. I didn't get his contact info, so I, I hope he's doing well. <laughs> the stump across the way. In 2013, massive alien monsters called kaiju begin emerging from an interdimensional portal called the Breach at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean and attacking coastal cities. In response, humanity builds massive robots called Jaegers. Each is co-piloted by two or more people who share a mental link via a process called drifting to share the mental stress of a of piloting the machine. In 2020, brothers Yancey and Raleigh Beckett pilot the American Jaeger Gypsy Danger to defend Anchorage from a Category 3 kaiju codenamed Knifehead. The kaiju unexpectedly pierces the Jaeger's armor during the confrontation, ripping out half of its head and killing Yancey. 
Raleigh, piloting the damaged Jaeger alone, manages to kill <laughs> Knifehead and walk Gypsy back to the shore by himself before collapsing. Traumatized by the loss of his brother and the strain of drifting alone, Raleigh quits the Jaeger program. Five years later, world leaders decide to seize funding for the Jaeger program and replace it with the coastal defense walls since kaiju are appearing more frequently and Jaegers are being destroyed as quickly as they are built. The walls are quickly proven to be ineffective, which sucks. <laughs> the remaining Jaegers are relocated to Hong Kong under the command of Marshal Stacker Pentecost, who plans to destroy the breach using a tactical nuclear weapon, even though previous attempts to do so have failed. Now working in wall construction, Raleigh is recruited by Pentecost for the mission. Traveling to Hong Kong, traveling to the Hong Kong base, the Shatter Dome, Raleigh is introduced to Mako Mori, the director of the Jaegers Restor Restoration Program and Pentecost's adopted daughter. Four Jaegers remain in operation. The refurbished Gypsy Danger, the Russian Cherno Alpha, the Chinese Crimson Typhoon, and the Australian Striker Eureka, piloted by father and son team Herc and Chuck Hansen. To find a new co-pilot. Hansen. There you go. Why don't you have a seat? Um, the uh, Raleigh participates in tryouts and decides that Mako is drift compatible. Raleigh falls out of alignment during the first test after relieving or reliving Yancey's death, causing Mako to become lost in the memory of a kaiju, kaiju attack on Tokyo, nearly firing Gypsy's energy cannon. As a result, Pentecost grounds Mako. Pentecost consults kaiju experts Newton Geisler and Herman Gottlieb. Herman claims the breach will stabilize and the kaiju will will increase in number, but it will allow the assault to succeed. Newton suggests attempting to drift with a kaiju's brain to learn more about them, but is dismissed by his colleagues. He tries it regardless, discovering that kaiju are bioweapons grown by alien colonists. Pentecost instructs Newton to find black market dealer Hannibal Chow to obtain another kaiju brain to drift with it. Newton realizes that kaiju have mind gained access to the brain since drifting is a two way link and two new the two newest kaiju emerge leatherback and Otachi Shohei Otachi uh, are sent simultaneously to find him in Hong Kong. All Jaegers except Gypsy Danger are dispatched to intervene. The kaijus destroy Crimson Typhoon and Cherno Alpha while leatherback disables Striker Eureka with an EMP blast. As the only non digital Jaeger Pentecost sends the nuclear powered Gypsy Danger to help. Gypsy manages to defeat Leatherback and Otachi. Newton and Hannibal go to the harvest to harvest Otachi's secondary brain, but discover she is pregnant. The infant kaiju bursts out and devours Hannibal before choking on its own umbilical cord. Newton and Herman drift with the infant's brain, discovering that the breach only opens in the presence of kaiju's DNA. Pentecost reveals to Raleigh he has terminal cancer due to piloting a first-generation Jaeger, which lacked radiation shielding. His last mission was in Tokyo where he saved a young Mako, but piloted the Jaeger alone since his co-pilot died. Two new kaiju are detected guarding the breach, prompting Gypsy and the repaired striker piloted by Pentecost and Chuck to go ahead with the assault. Approaching the breach, the Jaegers are attacked by the kaiju, and a new Category 5 kaiju, Slattern, leads to strike... <laughs> well, I was almost said Clayton. Slattern <laughs> leads to, to striker being disabled. Pentecost and Chuck decide to sacrifice Stryker while Gypsy acts as a nuclear bomb to seal the breach. After Stryker self-destructs, Gypsy slaughters Slattern, riding its corpse into the breach. Raleigh ejects Mako from Gypsy, manually triggers Gypsy's self-destruct, and ejects himself before it explodes and seals the breach. Raleigh and Mako's escape pods surface in the Pacific Ocean, and they embrace as rescue helicopters arrive. And that is Pacific Rim. So Justin, when did you first see this movie, and what did you think? Uh, I saw an opening weekend, and uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. 
And you Although, saw you saw it in the I, theater, yeah. I did, I did. I saw it in the theater, saw it up in, in Redmond, Washington. Hmm. And uh, I enjoyed it, but I hadn't I don't think I'd seen it since. Which is kinda weird <laughs> since <laughs> I enjoyed it, but whatever. Life just kinda got away from me, I guess. But I watched it on Sunday and I enjoyed it. And I was like, hey, let's do Pacific Rim. Yeah, I had not seen this in quite some time also. I didn't see it in theaters, but I did see it uh, on, I think, Blu-ray. I think I just got it from Redbox and around that same time, like 2013 or 2014 or whatever. Um, And yeah, I mean, I liked it. I I wasn't blown away by it when I first saw it, but uh, this was my first viewing in since then as well in the eight or nine years. Um, And I really enjoyed it. It was just a fun movie. I, I liked it how I liked King Kong versus Godzilla, just like fun, right? Just stupid fun. So mm-hmm. it was uh, interesting. But, you know, kaiju, kaiju, it's a term that has been popular since the 1950s or actually probably even earlier than that. But for me, I have only known the term for maybe like the past decade or so. It's just been very popular like the past decade or so. Aside from Godzilla, I don't really have that much experience in any type of kaiju anime. Um I don't have any experience in the in the kaiju movies, toys, or any types of iterations of that. What is your experience with kaiju-related things, and do you have any favorites? Uh, yeah, so, you know, I mean, Godzilla probably is, like, my big closest relationship. Uh, you know, I work for, for Bandai, and we do a lot of Godzilla toys, um, and all the different, the various monsters that come in the Godzilla universe. Uh, so that's kind of my closest connection. Yeah, growing up, I was never really like a super mega Godzilla fan or anything like that. But, um, you know, it's sort of been a staple in pop culture. And I in, in the sports center sense where I, I watch it to keep up with the Joneses, as it were, to know what I'm talking about when it comes to Kaiju. But I've never been like a super mega monster fan or anything like that um, to where I have like, you know, posters and Godzilla underwear and stuff like that. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I definitely enjoy them. I just I don't really go out of my way to to, you know, embrace the culture, as it were. But um, I, I did have a couple favorites, you know, aside from the obvious, like with Godzilla and, and Ghidorah, you know, those couple of big ones. Mothra, obviously really cool. And Kong for crying out loud. Kong's probably like my favorite monster. Um, but I really enjoyed the monster that was in Cloverfield. I thought that one looked really, yeah. really cool. Yeah. Um, and same with Underwater. You know, I, I've, I've been trying to get everyone excited about that movie for so long and uh, i made my sister and her family watch it like two weekends ago and i just i really like that movie and i like the monster that's in it at the end it's really cool spoiler i didn't know it was a kaiju is cthulhu a kaiju you think i don't i don't think so i think it's like a giant god right a, a demon yeah no <clears throat> yeah i don't know i don't, I don't that know guy's i don't kind know of a racist <laughs> yeah uh uh, Lovecraft, Lovecraft, yeah. yes, HP, <laughs> Harry Potter, Lovecraft. He's no, uh... you don't you don't confuse those two. <laughs> Harry Potter's a saint. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think they're one of the coolest things about Godzilla because that's mostly what I know. But um, one of the coolest things about Godzilla is the size that he's uh, he's grown over the years and through the different movies. There, I saw a cool chart that showed him like back, you know, in fifty four or whatever in the early Godzilla, and then each subsequent film that basically showed his height where it started out as like he's 20 feet or whatever or 25 feet and then he becomes like 700 feet and it's just it's insane and especially with the most recent Godzilla films that who did those ones Garrett uh, something 
Anyways, Gareth um, Edwards. Yeah, Gareth Edwards, who, who directed those. And in those ones, Godzilla is gigantic. He's huge, mm -hmm. but some pretty epic shot, shots of him, especially when he charges up and his uh, his scales like turn blue. And, you know, that's when he shoots his fire, all that stuff. I really enjoy it quite a bit. And from the toy world, seeing the detail in that, like from the stuff at your company is really cool. Just how much how much detail goes into it and how many like points of articulation and it's really, really neat and just his little tiny arms, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got this big head and these little arms. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Adam Wingard did the most recent one, Godzilla versus Kong, but yeah. I think Gareth Edwards did the other ones. I think, yeah, uh, Edwards did the first one, I believe. And right? then, um, and you know, th thinking back, uh, the game, the, the arcade game Rampage was probably my first oh, real experience there you go. Yeah. with with Kaiju. Now that I think about it, climbing up the building. Lizzie and them. George. Yeah. And <laughs> eating the, Ralph or whatever. Yeah. Eating the people and destroying the helicopters. And, and when you eat gross food, you puke it up. It's like yeah. toxic for you. Yeah. That's funny. So. Interesting. Um, is So out of those, though, is Godzilla the king of Kaiju or can something else surpass it, do you think? I think that Godzilla is... Is probably the king of the monsters. I mean, it makes sense. And I mean, the messaging is pretty, pretty clear there, you know, like a, a, a post nuclear world where, you know, atomic energy is a problem and uh, oh, atomic yeah. warfare and, <laughs> and it all, it all just kind of makes sense. Um, so, I mean, I do think that Godzilla is always going to reign supreme with that, not only in the messaging, but you know, the, 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 the aftermath of World War II, um, I think that it would be ridiculous for something. I mean, anything's possible, but I can't imagine a world where there is another monster on top of Godzilla. Yeah. Except for that one from Suicide Squad. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, we got a freaking kaiju. What, no, was, was it weird. like an octopus or something like that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. It's like a giant eye monster. I don't know. It was yeah. weird. It was like a squid or something. Yeah, but, I remember. Yeah. So and I, I watched and you and I both really love uh, the pitch meeting channel and I watched the pitch meeting for uh, Pacific Rim and I couldn't help but laugh when they they titled Charlie Hunnam as generic action hero. Right. <laughs> they just kept calling him generic action hero. <laughs> and I really liked that. But is that fair? I mean, I've never seen Sons of Anarchy and I know that's where he got really popular. I've seen some other movies that he's been in, but uh, I would wager that Sons of Anarchy, Anarchy was actually his best performance. Um, even without seeing it, I just know that a lot of people really liked it. Um, but in this movie, he just kind of exists. What do you think <laughs> about that? I think I think that that's it's fair. I could see it. You know, I never really thought about it until you said that. Uh, but I remember when I was watching it and they're kind of him and his brother, Yancey, are like psyching each other up at the beginning. And it just felt like a weird like beer commercial and <laughs> yeah bro <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally and i was like what i remember in the theater just thinking like oh no what's going on with the energy in this room right it's hard to read the room and um so i told i totally get that and uh i mean his character's fun and all but uh that that makes sense i think generic action hero and and i mean part of that is you know it's charlie hunnam in the role and it's not like arnold schwarzenegger or tom cruise or or things like that you know there's there are it's not uncommon for insert superstar into this movie kind of thing. So I, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I think I just didn't feel anything for him. I mean, I didn't really feel bad about the Yancey situation or his past. He just kind of existed, existed. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, he, I mean, and he doesn't have any like like how the speech. Yeah. Right. You know, he doesn't have like 
one of those moments that makes you go, yes. Even like the closing of the breach is an escape pod. It's like, okay, I'm going to set the bomb and then I'm going to go. You know, like at least with Armageddon, Bruce Willis has to stay behind. Yeah. To detonate it, you know, like he lives to fight another day. So it's almost like, you know, he's, he's not a martyr, right? So it's hard to really uh, embrace him as a hero. Not that all heroes need to die or anything like that. He just was never really given that that moment. Yeah, he saves the world, but when you watch it, you're like, all right, whatever, <laughs> which is, <laughs> is kind of weird. I don't know. That's but you definitely lived. an interesting feeling. <laughs> yeah, the boy who lives, see? Yeah. And um, I don't know. I, I think that that has a lot to do with it, to be honest with you. I can see that. He just kind of, it almost seems like it was Idris Elba's movie, mm-hmm. uh, honestly, because he had the sacrifice. He had the the emotional backstory and he was just amazing. And I, I love Idris Elba so much. And I love when he was like, one, don't you ever touch me again? He's like, two, don't you ever touch me again? <laughs> I thought he was so good in this movie, but I, it was, yeah, it was interesting. Other than Jen Charlie Hunnam just being like jacked and being a, a typical, you know, white male actor. Um, I, I, he just he didn't really do much for me. So I don't really have an yeah. answer or solution for it. But part of it is the script, too, probably. Yeah, 100 um, percent. But besides that, you know, I had a barrel of fun watching this movie and I just think it was such a good uh, popcorn flick. I did notice, however, that it followed very similar tropes and common beats of many other action films. Narratively, the story was very predictable. And it it's uh, not necessarily a bad thing, but did you notice any of these uh, like repeat tropes and uh, and similar plot lines from action films? Yeah, so I would say you know just Idris Elba's character for one, like the mentor that's not gonna make it. You know, like <laughs> it's just one of those things where the hero has to be on his own and um, you know make the tough call without help. You know, that's kind of one of those things. And, and just the, 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 the boy meets girl kind of thing. Oh yeah. And then they have this, <laughs> this romantic, this, this, uh, so sexual and violence. And there's this, <laughs> there's this energy, this angst that exists between the two of them. And, you know, they're, like their fighting sequence and they're just kind of, you know, one up in each other and, and, and then they become partners and they care for each other. And it's a lot of camaraderie to happen in like five minutes. And uh, and then even getting on the lifeboats together. Like, oh, we made it. Oh. And, but they're drift compatible, Justin. Right. That's true. <laughs> so, I mean, like there's stuff like that. And it's Hollywood and it's fine. I, I'm not like criticizing it or anything like that. It's just stuff that we've seen before. It was something that was kind of just glaringly obvious to me. And it. And it it kind of distracted me, but I mean, I, I think of things like, you know, the speech Idris Elba gives. There's always a big speech like that in action movies. That's the end of the um, world, Zach. I know. Cancel the apocalypse. Uh, there's always a race against the clock. You know, it's like, oh, doomsday clock. We have, you know, 12 hours left. And it always comes down to like the final three minutes. And I'm like, if you guys would have woke up earlier, you <laughs> right. could have had this taken care of. I mean, gone in 60 seconds. Same thing. We talked about that. Um you know, it's the retired hero comes back to save the day. So, so right. uh, Raleigh is one comes more out of job. Basically. Yeah, exactly. We need you for one more job sort of thing. Um, and then that other thing to the moment of loss where, where Mako is perfect. It's so exciting and uplifting that she gets to be uh, the drift compatible partner, but then, or the co-pilot, but then she has her flashbacks and it, it you're like, Oh shit, she's going to get grounded or fired or whatever. Cause she can't control herself. So that always happens where it's like, High, then low, and then redemption. 
that happens a lot in, in action films. And then also the the sacrifice by the heroes where, you know, Idris Elba sacrifices himself. He wasn't going to win that battle at all. They didn't even really put up a fight against any of those <laughs> those monsters. They just kind <laughs> of were there. Just walk but, out there and they're like, all right, this ain't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to plan E yeah. <laughs> for energy bomb. But uh, yeah, I, I, I just thought that that was very interesting. And futuristic films, though, uh, like this one, they always kind of require some good world building. And my favorite example in recent memory of how to build build a world that is is present, but also very near future is in the movie Edge of Tomorrow. Lived I repeat, I just call it Edge of Tomorrow. How did you feel about the narration in the first 15 minutes of this movie, uh, how it built a believable world for you? Yeah, so I was on board, uh, I especially related to the part where, you know, there's this big attack. And then after like, you know, they, they mourn. And then after a couple of weeks, everyone just kind of gets on with their lives. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we have all these horrible like school shootings or even that Las Vegas shooting. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, wow, maybe now something will happen. But then when you realize if a school can get shot up and nothing happens with gun control, then then it's never going to happen. Right. So I, I totally see like our world is forever changed, but then we as quick as possible try to get back on track to how the way things used to be. You know, we even saw that with COVID, right? After like five minutes of being unlocked, everyone's like, no more masks and open up my business and blah, blah, blah. And so we just, we don't have that in our DNA to be able to just, you know, think big picture, <laughs> right? Oh, the world's ending all around us. It's melting all around us. And we're just like, yeah, give me more Aquanet. And, fucking cigarettes and oil and blah, blah, blah. And so, <laughs> you know, it's just crazy. Like, you know, the, the, even, even when the rainforest, right, the Amazon was burning. It was on the news for like a day. And then it's like over onto the next thing. Right. Yeah. You're like, Oh yeah. I forgot about the Amazon was on fire. That was the thing. The world's lungs as they call it. Right. And we just kind of said, all right, well, let me know how it turns out. Well, it didn't involve a celebrity or the Kardashians. So, you know, that's why we didn't care about it. Exactly. And yeah. so, I, I mean, I, I get it. We just, we're not wired that way. We want new information and we want it now. Like, like Queen. I want it all and I want it now. <laughs> there you go. They wrote a song about it. Yeah. So I, I'm thinking of like uh, examples that I have, because I really, I agree that it, it was pretty realistic in a certain sense of, well, we have to rebuild sort of, of thing and move on. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Real fast. Um also, just like the the Jaegers turn into like fucking like race cars with like sponsorship and they're like superstars. And it's like, oh, yeah, that was weird. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden corporations are like, yeah, let's make these people famous. And then they act all corporation. -y and then and and then they become like rock stars. Right. They're, they're just like, yeah, we're Jaeger pilots. We're going to save the world. And then there's autograph signings and things like that. I thought yeah. that was I thought that was interesting. That's seven kills, the most of any Jaeger. It's like, who do, who cares, man? You're protecting us. It's not, <laughs> I, I don't want your number to increase. I want it to decrease. <laughs> I don't right. want to see any right. more. Let's get to the root cause, right? I Why know. keep dealing with the problems when Good we can try Lord. and fix the problem? Yeah. We know Sorry. where it is. It's the breach, man. So yeah. I, I, I immediately think of, because Edge of Tomorrow is fantastic. I was, it's one of my like favorite sleeper movies because it's it's something that I was immediately hooked in the first like, 10, 15 minutes just because of what they did for it and how you're kind of like, holy shit, okay, the world is banding together to fight these creatures. We have these awesome mech suits, these like exosquad suits. 
and Emily Blunt's amazing. So um, I was I was really bought into that. But I think of other movies too, like Blade Runner. They do a very good job uh, of building that kind of really dark and gritty world uh, where you know you, you learn about what uh, replicants are and stuff. Um, the Matrix, same thing. The Matrix is is very good at uh, getting you into this. Whoa, like what is going on? They even have the scene with Morpheus who just explains it all for it for layman terms. Dune does a very good job in, in more recent memory. Dune does a fantastic job of getting me bought into this is going on and this is the Fremen's land and and uh, yeah, and falling in love with Paul Atreides. I absolutely love it. District nine is another one, too, where District nine starts out with its news clips, you know, and they give backstory like a documentary. And we're we're just supposed to accept it. And it takes place in basically modern day Johannesburg. So that's something I thought that was really, really cool and reminded me of it. But mm-hmm. yeah. So was I supposed are... to give you examples? No, 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 no. Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm just <laughs> I thinking like, of, oh, shit. I, I, I just wrote down examples because um, because I really do like the world building. And I think that Pacific Rim, that was my the strongest suits of this movie was I was really bought into the world mm-hmm. uh, just from the get go. And I love the idea of you have to have a co-pilot. And it's just like, we're singing together. Oh, all that right. Kind of stuff. And I, I, almost all of those movies, if not all of them, have additional media to support the world building, you know, doing several books, uh, matrix had video games, had the yes. animatrix, um, you know, uh, uh, edge of tomorrow was a, a, a manga. So there's like all these extra things that you could, uh, deep dive Pacific rim ultimately got comic books, mm-hmm. a video game, a sequel. So the world building can exist. It's interesting how you got to sort of find that line, like how much information can you put into a movie without it being like a total info dump exactly. to where it comes off as terrible. Uh, Matrix was actually a pretty big gamble because of that scene with Morpheus where he explains everything. Uh, I think it, it was necessary, but at the same time, people might zone out with Morpheus talking. <laughs> like, what are you saying, guy? Yeah. Um, and so, and it's a lot of heavy information. It really is. It, it's, it makes your brain melt a little bit. And so they the the creators have to really find that balance and and, you know, you want to know more. And it's it's cool to see uh, scope. You know, we talk about like scope with Dune, right? Like when we saw how big the ships were, but then when you zoom out and the ships are really small next to like these big old planets and and then the big cargo ships next to the little like, you know, eight man cruisers or whatever. And and just how many people were there? Like I I just thought of scope was like my, yeah. my main takeaway from Dune. It's like, man, this world's fucking huge. It really And then is. like when you see like the worm, you're just like, oh my God, this is fucking crazy. And so I do think that Pacific Rim has that going for it. Yeah, it's all in the Pacific Ocean, but it's a pretty big ocean. And you know, the <laughs> Yeagers are pretty big and the, the Kaiju are pretty big. And then when that one takes off and starts flying, you're like, oh shit, it just got real. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty hardcore stuff. I agree. The scope, oh. the scope, it shows you how big it is. So. Right when when uh, when the Jaeger comes up with uh, holding on to like a ship, he's got like a battleship in his hands. That was something. pretty awesome. Yeah, or like, like a submarine. A I forget what it was. It was, it was the was Titanic. Like, <laughs> is that what it was? <laughs> they reforged the Titanic. I don't know. <laughs> just it's kidding. the wrong ocean. <laughs> I know, but it was it was like yeah, it was like a freight liner, like a yeah, giant just a, ass just a boat, big-ish. and he's using it as like a like a like a sword basically. That was, was like, really cool. Except he yeah. has a sword on his arm, but he's like, no, no, the ship is good. I'm gonna. <laughs> I don't care if there's a 
a lonely janitor cleaning the ship. I'm just going to use it, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Complete I thought that disregard. was cool. That yeah. gave you a real idea of just how big these things really are. And, yeah. I, and I dug that. That I was one of my it. favorite I moments. Yeah, I the rock music's it. all playing. You're like, oh, yeah, you're about to get hit. What's that on your face? Oh, it's a giant boat. <laughs> Love it. So I own a very big TV. I own a 65-inch 4K TV with a sound bar and a subwoofer because Brag I love it. animals. I mean, I love yeah. watching movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not all films or shows require this kind of setup, though. Um, I'm kind of a freak. Uh, but I think Pacific Rim is definitely one of those movies that I feel benefited from this gigantic ex- explosive viewing experience. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, the the closest you can get to a cinematic experience, the better. You know, obviously watching these movies in the theater is is where it's at, especially with like the crazy surround sound and, um, you know, just the the environment, the, the total darkness and just being sort of uh, what's the word where you're John uh, blank immersed. Yeah, immersed. There you go. Thank you. Uh, still thinking about big old ships. Uh, yeah, when you're just kind of immersed <laughs> in the world. I like and big ships and I cannot lie. <laughs> <laughs> you other ships cannot deny. Um, so the closer you can get to that, the better. You know, obviously, like when I like to watch scary movies, I have all the lights off and I sit kind of in the center of the TV and I'm, <laughs> and I'm just like trying to embrace it all. You know, I have a lot of space behind me, so anything can creep up and kill me. Uh, I'm ready for it. And... Uh, yeah, just like feel something over my shoulder. And like, you know how I told you when I was getting scared, I forget. Oh, we were watching the remake of like Friday the 13th and I was like standing yeah. up behind the couch. Like I yeah. tried to have something in between me and the TV. And I thought that was so funny. I'm like, what am I doing right now? This is crazy. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I was immersed and I was scared. And so I do think that having a soundbar and a really big TV is is a benefit. But not, unfortunately, not everybody can have that. So we're, we're extremely lucky. But yes. if you're able to catch like, you know, like Jurassic Park or maybe the Alien movies. I think Twister is another good one to have with like really cool sound. Um, visually compelling movies like uh, Into the Spider-Verse. You know, that's one where on a large screen that could really pay off versus watching it like on your phone. Um, any of the Star Wars movies, the Marvel movies for crying out loud. You mentioned The Matrix, Fury Road. Oh, my goodness. That movie is intense. Uh, if you missed that one in the theater or you want to relive the theater experience, uh, you know, watching that on the biggest Costco size TV on the planet is is probably your a best bet. And then even something like a quiet place, right? A movie that barely has any sound, but when it when it does make noise, if you have a sound bar or surround sound, that's a that's a game changer. Oh yeah, totally. I agree. I would say, yeah, I, all those choices and then any Nolan film, like you were saying. Inception's a good one, yeah. right? Yeah, Batman movies, yeah. Interstellar, um, yeah, mean, Dune, the Batman, <laughs> um, all the Lord of the Rings movies too. Avatar, as much as I didn't really like Avatar, it was it, it is a spectacle. It is something marvelous to watch. So I think that that's great. I think it's the greatest movie ever made. No, far from the, it. Won the Academy Award. It's, it's the un- unobtainium of good movies. That's <laughs> so, the best movie ever. <laughs> I mean, Giovanni Ribisi's too busy making his uh, his breakfast the entire movie. So it's gross, yeah. disgusting breakfast. This didn't, movie did Hurt Locker beat uh, Avatar for Best Picture? It did, yeah, and That's it right. beat uh, a couple others too. That was pretty cool because Catherine Bigelow and and James Cameron used to be married, and she was like face She's suck like, it, fuck it. <laughs> yeah it comes like up the dx it. thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be awesome for all you 90s wrestling fans this movie can be classified into several film categories with one in particular aiming at disaster movie 
Buildings, cities, and citizens, and even boats are utterly destroyed. (laughs) And oceans are utterly destroyed by the kaiju and the Jaegers. How do you feel about disaster movies? Dude, I love disaster movies. I got an email right before this podcast that Moonfall was available on like HD movie codes. So did I. I was like, oh, I kind of want to watch the Moonfall. Um, But I I, I fucking gobble those movies up, dude. I love disaster movies. I'm I'm prepared, man. I'm like ready to duck and cover at a moment's notice. And uh, I just enjoy the shit out of them. Like 2012, that's the dumbest fucking movie ever. And I watch it all the time. <laughs> I probably watch it like four times a year. I like it so much. Same with uh, Day After Tomorrow. Uh, I really like that one too, where where the Jake Gyllenhaal outruns the cold. Dennis Quaid wants coffee and he gets coffee and then he, and he walks across the snow. That's always fun too. <laughs> I dig it, man. Um, I love disaster movies, dude. I'm I'm all for them. Twister, we talk about that one a thousand times. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm here for it. The fifty year storm. There's a like the last eight seconds of point break. <laughs> yeah, that wave's coming. It's gonna swallow that's Australia, gonna, you know. It's gonna yeah, that's what happened in Australia. It's all gone now. <laughs> According to that, the Point Break universe. So. Although, you know, the ones that I don't like are uh, Volcano and Dante's Peak. I think those are just dumb. I love I those movies. I can't get into them at all. I, I mean, as much movies. as I love absurd movies, I can't. Uh, those ones just bother me. I feel like those have the Cavender stamp of approval. Like, they should. catered for you. On, on paper, they just scream, <laughs> you know, Jay Money, but I'm just, I'm not, can't do it. I can't do it. I, they bug me so much. I don't know why. I just I don't like them. My biggest problem with disaster movies, I don't like them, actually. And my biggest problem is I'm too realistic. I'm like, oh, that's going to cost a lot of money to fix. And I'm always worried about the buildings and everything, the aftermath of them. So it's very hard for me, like Independence Day. I liked it as a kid, but even so, I'm like, oh, God, how is rebuilding all this going to work? This is going to take forever. So that's that's why I get a little uh, upset with disaster movies. But I mean, it's fine. I get sure. it. I understand why it's there. But yeah, some people absolutely love them. Some people go goo goo gaga. For them. I do. I, I, I'm surprised that I didn't go watch Moonfall in the theater. I'm a little disappointed in myself, actually. <laughs> You're not a true DM person. No, so. I'm not sad. Panda. Sad. Well, one one scene in particular that stood out for me was when Stacker Pentecost, Idris Elba, when he gave his raucous speech about canceling the apocalypse. I personally was ready to run through a brick wall for this man, this beautiful oh man, Idris Elba, a handsome man. fella. How did you feel about his speech? What are some of your other favorite movie speeches? Uh, yeah, no, his speech was great. I don't know if I would have run through a brick wall like the Kool-Aid man and be like, oh, yeah, I was ready. I was ready. Yeah, um, I I like this speech. I thought it was good. Um, I'm a fan of the motivational speeches, and you tend to get those in like the underdog movies. So like, you know, Rudy, we were talking about that one earlier, where where he's like, so when since when are you the quitting kind? And and he tells Rudy to to nut up or shut up kind of thing. And and that, I thought that was great. I love that. And uh, you know, talk about missed opportunities and regrets. And, you know, not to have those. Like, this is your moment, dude. This is what it's all about. And like Rocky Balboa, you know, that was a good one, too. And Rocky Six, right? Rocky Balboa. Yeah. He's like, it's not about <laughs> how hard you can hit, but about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Uh, he's having that speech with his son. And that that couldn't be easy being Rocky's kid, right? I mean, no. your dad's the, the heavyweight champion of the world and everyone looks up to him and loves him. And he's Philadelphia's favorite son. And you're just his kid. <laughs> That's 
it's, it's an incredible shadow to be under. And so I really appreciated his speech. And, you know, Rocky is like one of the ultimate sweethearts in the history of film. And I absolutely love the man. And I'm, I'm here for it. And then like even like Samwise Gamgee, you know, he's got a couple of couple of speeches in the Lord of the Rings movies at the end of uh, Two Towers. And then even when uh, the world is ending all around him um, in Return of the King, I just it chokes me up, man. Yeah, I can't do it. But Independence Day is probably it used to be a really good one. But then it sort of got ruined in like the last election. <laughs> so we're. I don't like it anymore. <laughs> it's a, a gross miscarriage of justice in using that speech for things other than Independence Day. And uh, now I don't like it anymore. But up, up until recently, that was probably the best speech in the history of presidents. <laughs> it was, it was Bill Pullman's was fucking Lone Star's speech before, you know, saving the world. You're right. It's get off my plane by Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love my it. Goodness. Well, I loved all. I mean, the Lord of the Rings have so many amazing speeches in it. Uh, Pelennor Fields, I think, is the the one that takes it for me. The ride now, ride for ruin and world's ending. It's a good one. Um, that one's incredible. Uh, I'd say the replacements when he says, you know, chicks dig scars, pain heals, but the glory lasts forever. That's a real good speech. And he's like some deep shit, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Braveheart. You know, they can take our lives, but they can never take our freedom. Miracle, when uh, when Herb gives the, the speech at the end right before they're about to play the Russians. That was incredible in the locker room. Any given Sunday, Al Pacino's speech to the team is pretty good because he knows he's on his way out, but it's still just Al Pacino, you know? Um, yeah, I like that movie. So do I. I like it a lot. I like Steam and Willie Beeman. Um, Coach D'Amato. Yeah, there you go. What's his name? Beaming. Keep the ladies <laughs> creaming. Uh, Gladiator. Oh, Pretty much everything that Maximus says in Gladiator, especially what we do in life echoes in eternity. I am just like ready to fight for him so much. He's amazing. And then in Varsity Blues, I really like James Vanderbeek's speech at the end when he says, let's go play the, the next 20 minutes for the next 20 minutes or whatever he says. 27 minutes for the next 27 minutes. Um, he's like, let's go be heroes. I really enjoyed that. And then cue the Foo Fighters song. So. Did you see the sequel to Pacific Rim? I did not know. <laughs> okay, because it's... I don't know why. I just I never got around to it. I it's, a, it's a really good title. It's called Pacific Rim colon Uprising. Oh, shit. Pretty good. Um, I have not. And I know everyone has read and seen and told me to avoid it. Uh, but regardless, I'm kind of a completionist sometimes. And I still think I need to watch it when it's available streaming so I can formulate my own opinion. Is it on HBO right now? It is not. I already looked. I would have, but it's not. It was it's, for the longest time. I know, which is like annoying that it's not that it's not there again. It, this always happens to us. <laughs> but yeah. Whatever. Are you OK that they made a sequel to this or do you think it basically probably should have just ended where it needed to? Uh, no, I think that this this genre of movie, like the monster movie, I think that always warrants a sequel. Um, if they can be creative with it and 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 uh, sort of they you said that they made like 100 different kaijus, right? And Jaegers. So, I mean, mm-hmm. there's plenty to bring to the table, assuming that they were able to recycle some of the, the concepts and ideas. But I, I think it's fine. I mean, something like this actually strikes me as more of a trilogy Ooh. where, you know, they, they think they win and then Empire Strikes Back style I was happens. Say, yeah, Empire Strikes Back. And then they get knocked down <laughs> a peg or two. Uh, instead of uprising, it's downsizing and then um, then come back uh, for the third one to win it all. 
Pacific Rim downsizing. (laughs) Pacific Rim 3, moving on up. I couldn't think of a word to go with uprising. Downrising. Yeah, it would be really cool. And I think, I mean, the Godzilla and Kong movies, for example, they had two Godzilla sequels and they had two Kong movies, right? No, they only had one Kong movie. One Kong. Skull Island and then they had Godzilla versus Kong. But... They didn't need that second Godzilla movie, and it is not good. Uh, the first one is awesome. I really enjoyed the first one quite a bit. The second one has some characters from the first one, but it really doesn't do anything for the story. There's it, a lot of people. There's more so many there's people. more people than monsters. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, <laughs> and okay, it's long. we get it. It's like <laughs> it's, two and a half hours. Yeah, it's very long. So I I could see this movie being a trilogy. You're, you're right. It would be really cool. Like if in the second one, you know, um, you're saying very Empire Strikes Back. Uh, the Raleigh and Mako are are like badass, and they they reinvigorate the Jaeger program, but they're still not all the way there. And then the, there are some random kaiju from a different trench, like the Marianas Trench or something like that, and they popped up, and they're like, "Oh, we got to exterminate those." But then something else is brewing, like a Darth Vader esque <laughs> monster. So I think that that would that would be really cool. And um, I agree with you on that. So once once it is streaming, I'll have to check it out. Right. So I think at the beginning he says he used to look up to the stars for like otherworldly oh, yeah. creatures. But then he turns out to he look said below. to look below. Yeah. But what if in the second one they did come from the sky? That'd be like Transformers almost. Yeah. And they made seven of Because I mean, it's just a portal. <laughs> it's a gateway, right? To another world. So I mean, looking at like, you know, just frontiers in general, like the unknown. The ocean, obviously, space, um, fucking the Arctic, <laughs> and then the wild, wild west, you know, just different areas you know, that we didn't, that had to be explored, you know, that we didn't know anything about. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that would make sense. I agree. Well, to to, to beat a dead horse, basically, I, I keep Shouldn't talking about... beat any horses, God, I keep talking about Godzilla and King Kong, but um, a lot of people were split on those movies. Um, I... I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, you didn't really like the Godzilla versus Kong movie, right? I liked every moment they were fighting. Okay, yeah, me too. I didn't like the people stuff, but the fighting made up for it because they were just... The Cavender cut would nix every human that's in this (laughs) It'd be like a 30-minute movie, and it's just just the fight scenes. And I'm okay with that, because once King Kong got that giant axe, I was like, oh my god. Yeah. (laughs) I loved it. Um, I was having such a good time. And I mean, that was one of the, that was like one of the first movies that was streaming same day as theaters on HBO Max. So that was really neat to see, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I I really enjoyed the hell out of it just because of the big, beautiful CGI action set pieces. I don't watch those movies uh, to to make them or to see them as a thought-provoking film. I just want to see some monsters fight. Do you think that as a filmmaker, this is a good tactic if you want your movie to be successful or does it seem kind of childish? Do you need something more there? I don't think so. Um, I mean, the they kept making Transformer movies because they kept making a billion dollars. So oh man, it's just the it's what people want to see. They want to see the robots and and or the monsters fight. And I think that that makes sense. At the end of the day, you just want to just see a big old brawl. And it, and the technology has gone come a long way, right? You know, when you see all the little fibers on Kong and his the, the expressions on his face and in his eyes. Uh, that's a really big deal. And honestly, the first time I really felt that was in Peter Jackson's Kong movie. Mm-hmm. Like looking at Kong's face and his eyes, I just I felt like I was looking at my cat, right? And I was just like, man, I don't want anything to happen to this little guy. And I think that that's really come a long way. And and just the expressiveness um, from Kong, 
was just really relatable to like just having like a fur baby and mm-hmm. um, you know, you didn't want to see him get hurt. And when he did get hurt, you felt it. It was sad. And you, now that we're, we're sort of in this, this new era of technology where things look so real. And even in like the nineties, when you saw things, uh, you know, the nineties CGI is pretty terrible. Unless, unless you're talking about like, uh, like Jurassic park, Mm-hmm. You know, 1993 that movie still holds up to this day it's incredible they had a lot of practical effects though and it, and it looked great there was some computer generated things but for the most part it was a lot of a lot of practical effects and it looks amazing and so i can watch jurassic park right now and love every second of it not because of nostalgia reasons but it genuinely looks fantastic um, it, it really does yeah and so it, it's just really neat to see that new stage like when we see dinosaurs they look like dinosaurs but when we see kong he looks like just this beautiful gorilla and I just want to hug him and be his best friend. I know. I, I just want to leave him alone. Cause that's all he wants is his land. <laughs> yeah. But we Maybe keep sure trying to take it. Sam Jackson, all that shit. Yeah. But I want to do like a lady in the tramp where we each get one end of the banana and meet in the middle. It'll be amazing. Whoa. That's a, that's a big banana. <laughs> or it's really short. I, I don't take know. It. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> this is a family show. Um, I agree. And Transformers benefits because they've had the long, long history of of comics and cartoons and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, 40 years. But I mean, even in 2007, you know, it was it was just giant robots on your screen. fighting, And no one's going to say no to that. And sometimes it's really hard to see the fighting because you're like, what is going on? Just because there's so much CGI craziness. Uh, But it's they are still kind of fun to watch and see what happens. Uh, not the last night, though. I didn't like the last that night. That movie was terrible. It's really long, oh too. God, it's like it's three like hours 40 long. 40 hours. <laughs> yeah. It's still playing in theaters right now. <laughs> I know. came out like four or five years ago, and it's still playing. Um, it's, But I guess if that's... If, at the end of the day, if they're just making this movie to make money, Guillermo del Toro doesn't really... We haven't really talked about him that much, honestly, but um, he's fantastic at creature creation, and so I'll pretty much... He has my stamp of approval, and I'll see anything that he makes, um, but... It's weird because I wonder if this was something that he really wanted to do or if it was just a cash cow. And he doesn't strike me as someone who's a cash cow guy. No, he definitely wanted to do it because he was supposed to be making the Hobbit movies. Uh, oh, but it was, yeah. it was taking too long. And he's like, fuck this, man. I got to go make my my Jaeger movie. Yeah. I got to go drink some Jaegermeister. Jaegermeister. Ooh. And so he left. He left the Hobbit and made this. Interesting. Well, I mean, it's it's in terms of worldwide success, it was very financial. That was probably big over in in Asia, I'm assuming, um, where, you know, they have what's some mobile suit Gundam. Aren't those those are basically Jaegers, right? Kind of. I mean, yeah, it's a mobile suit that is piloted by a human. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, but it's not it's not two humans. It's it's like one human, right? Singular. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think that that's really, really neat that they kind of brought it over there. And dude, I mean, this I have a I have a hard time going to the theater and seeing uh, movies nowadays. I I, they have to be like big movies that I really want to see. So like Doctor Strange (laughs) is coming out soon. Hollywood movie. (laughs) Doctor Strange (laughs) is coming out soon. And I, I don't really know if I want to go see it in theaters. Honestly, I'm just not super excited about it. I'm sure it'll be great, but uh, I I don't know for that one. It's, it's not for me, but for something like this, it'd be the same. I'd be in the same boat. I'm like, yeah, this looks great, but I think I'll just wait till it comes out on streaming. Yeah. Yeah. Gun has been around for over 40 years, by the way. Yeah, that's a, a long lot. Time. Yeah, it's a very long time. And they always have really cool toys, too. 
They do. And model kits. I know. They take 40 hours to build. Sometimes. How would... Okay. Well, then finally, how would you design your Jaeger? Let's say there is a Justin Cavender Jaeger. What types of weapons would you have? What style? <laughs> what color? What would it be like? Oh, man. I have this sweet orange... <laughs> <laughs> kick-ass orange Jaeger. Um, maybe even like... I think it would be cool if I had four legs instead of two. Ooh, and uh, play crazy legs, <laughs> but like, but like legs that could move a boot, you know, like a, like a spider and be all fast. And uh, I think that'd be awesome. And um, I don't know, maybe like a spiky tail. I think would be really cool. <laughs> spiky tail, <laughs> like, like a plank, a giant plank with a big nail through it. Uh, <laughs> oh man. Uh, I don't know. I just like the idea because, like, you know, we're talking about Transformers and the version of Devastator that's in the second movie, uh, The Fallen. I, I love that. Like, when it's on it's on four legs, like it's a quadruped. I think that's so fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, traditionally, a robot is, you know, on its two legs and it's like more like a person. But I like the idea of it, if it being a little bit different. I know that, like, with Star Wars, the Imperial Walkers look pretty ridiculous. Uh, you know, like the, the ATATs or AT-ATs, whatever mm-hmm. you decide to call them. Um, you know, and they're and they're limited in their mobility. You know, they're just like a dog walking. But if it was a little bit more feral and aggressive, and not just a a, a walking tin can robot kind of thing, but if it was more <laughs> like a like a more limber, like a jungle cat or something, I think that would be pretty badass. I think that would be badass too. And then, like, what kind of weapons? So you're saying a, a, a spiky tail, and... big old spiky tail, maybe a couple <laughs> of big old teeth, and like Voltron style, like when the lions are are yeah. in their lion form before he's in robot form. Um, Ooh, and teeth, then some, teeth would be good. Like you could bite them. Yeah, like pierce through whatever the other thing is. I think that'd be awesome. And then uh, maybe some sort of fire projectile, and um, you know, like a flamethrower, like space balls, mm-hmm. the flamethrower. And then <laughs> um, I would imagine like some sort of laser would be pretty cool, too. I would and maybe do... a laser shot out of my tail. Ooh, look at now, now you're thinking like a scorpion and now poison. You're, you're I want to have poison. I want to poison, poison. my p- p- enemy. P- poison, poison. <laughs> yeah, like go poop the cloud of poison. Yeah, you'd be like, was... you'd be like, uh, like Gob. You'd be like, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but where did the lighter fluid come from? <laughs> there you go. Um, I so I think about this quite often uh, with with this movie. Well, first of all, I would have a shield. I think a shield would be really cool, like on one hand, and definitely a sword. But it would be like a chainsaw sword. But a shield would be cool because then you could block attacks and do whatever. And then you could have different, uh, like. I don't know, different blades and stuff on it or different booby traps on the shield. So if if you're kind of tied up, you can shoot a rocket from it or something. But that would be really, really beneficial. And I'd probably just shape it after like the the gypsy banger or whatever it's called. Um, gypsy danger. <laughs> gypsy. <So. laughs> uh, but one thing that I was thinking of um, that was very interesting, and a big plot hole in this film is like, it's cool that they have these Jaegers, but they just punch the monsters. They don't like just shoot them. And this is what the pitch meeting talks about. They're like, why don't they just shoot them? And you're kind of like, oh yeah, but we need to have it look cooler because we got to get hand to hand combat in there. And I'm like, so you built these giant robots with all these weapons 
and you want him to just fight them hand to hand? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And he's like, no, 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 it's fine. But we have swords and whatnot. And he goes, then why don't you just put a bunch of swords over the, the breach point where they come out? So that way they can't come out like a giant paper shredder. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> That's really smart. Yeah. But you wouldn't have a movie if not. So um, I don't know. It was cool. I liked I really wanted to see the Russian one, the Chernobyl uh, bot or whatever it's called. Chernobyl. How, how it had its hammer fist. I wanted to see more action with them, but they died so quick. And that was kind of a bummer. Yeah. They didn't really happens. do anything, though. So. Um, but yeah, Jägermeister aside, that is all I have on Pacific Rim. Do you have anything else? I don't think so. I mean, okay. I think, I mean, I enjoy the movie. I think it's fun. I'm glad I, I rewatched it. Um, I'm hoping one day the, to watch it again, uh, maybe with little Henry and he's excited about giant robots fighting. Um, but yeah, it's fun. It, it felt like a good time for the end of the world. It felt like a good time. Yeah. Hell yeah. I agree. So what letter grade do you give it? Uh, I'm probably pretty close with the critics there. It's it's kind of a, I'd say a B minus for me. <laughs> yeah. It's a solid B for me. I, I had a fun time watching it. It's, it's, it's a very good, just, Turn on mindless entertainment. Enjoy. You don't have to think too hard about it. You just get to watch some pretty awesome set pieces and some ships, some ships being used as swords. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Man, just especially the shot where it's like his legs and then you just see him dragging this like he's fucking Solomon Grundy. <laughs> <laughs> Born on a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, took a cruise on a Tuesday. There you go. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, Jinx. I agree with that so much, but um, that's all I have. So should we uh, should we send it off? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, had a lot of fun today. So thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. There, remember to follow us on Twitter at dbcrazypod, at edgyarmo, and at zackdale60, where you can share your thoughts and we will discuss them on our show. Um, you can even suggest movies that you think we should watch for our next episode. Just please make sure that they are streaming so that way everyone can watch them and uh, we'll share our passwords with you if they are on Netflix because, you know, fuck the man. Um, this movie, Pacific Rim, I forgot to mention, is on HBO Max. So if you have HBO Max, you can watch Pacific Rim, but you can't watch Uprising. You got to buy it. It's worth noting that we did Sherlock last week and we watched it on HBO Max, but it's also on Netflix. Is it? Yeah, it just showed up. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. I, I never understand how they can do that, how they can ah, split those. Magic. Doesn't make any sense. Hollywood <laughs> Hollywood magic, I tell you. <laughs> um, make sure to subscribe to our show if you like us. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify, Amazon, Google, all of them. Um, if you do enjoy us, please leave a five-star review for us on that platform. It helps us immensely, and we love it. Please contact us. It's great. Just please don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much.